and it was that darkest day that was the best day of my life I just I cried out and I'm like Lord I don't know why you would love me but you say that you will take me fix me do whatever it takes but I just can't do this anymore Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our guest today, Marta Greenman, will tell her story in just a few moments, and you'll get to know a woman who, although a victim of abuse, has now found freedom and joy despite her past. For those of you who may be new listeners to First Person, through simple conversation each week, we introduce you to people whose lives have been redeemed and set on a path of joyful obedience and service to Christ. Each interview you hear on the program is also archived on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. When you go to the website, just click on the Listen button for a list of all past programs, which you can listen to at your convenience, or subscribe to First Person as a podcast and receive automatic downloads via iTunes. Visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, over the past couple of years, one topic we've not dealt with is the topic of sexual abuse. But that's how the life of today's guest began, as she was abused as a child, and it caused her to spin out of control in many ways until she turned her life over fully to Jesus Christ. Marta Greenman is going to tell her story in her own words today. Well, I think the first thing that needs to be known is that you can't have a message without a mess. And that was my life. It was a real mess. I'm sure that's not something you wanted to happen, though. Oh, absolutely not. I grew up in a Christian home. I had wonderful godly parents, parents who loved me, who um, taught me the Word of God and took me to be with His people. But yet, I found myself at 29. My life was never more of a mess. Tell me some of the circumstances, and I know this, this has got to be a painful story for you, but, but God is using your testimony today, so tell me what was going on. Well, it all started at the age of six when I was sexually abused, and because my mother had very specific instructions to stay away from this person, and when it happened, I kept it secret for at least 30 30 years. That long? Yes. Oh my goodness. And so because of that circumstances, I wanted to control my life, control everything around me. I was not going to allow that to happen. Was that a single instance or was it ongoing abuse? No, it was one single instance. It was not anyone in my family. And so for many years, I really tried to say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal because it wasn't continual. It wasn't anyone in the family, because I'd heard so many stories of abuse that were just horrific mm-hmm. that, oh, well, I can deal with it. It's not that big of a deal. You didn't tell anybody. I did not tell anyone. And yet it shows the damage that's done from one encounter like that for a lifetime. Yes, it does. Absolutely. I began living a life of the master pretender. And I, I because... My parents were so faithful to church, I saw how people acted in the church. And so that's how I acted. But I also had a very dark side to my life. And I started smoking at a very young age, um, drinking. I had actually my first abortion at 17. Oh. And you hid all this. Absolutely. Absolutely. On the other side, I made good grades in school. I played volleyball. I was in the drama department, music department, and always had that wonderful smile on my face. Mm -hmm. 
Talk to me more about your feelings. Uh, I know this is this covers a long period of time, but those those teen years to live with that kind of secret and probably didn't really understand the damage it was doing to your soul to live with that secret. Looking back on it now, what, talk to me about that. those teenage years. You know, I, I just referred to being the master pretender, and because of the way that I was raised, I knew God was holy. I knew that He couldn't look upon sin, but yet I knew I was a sinner. So it was like a life that had no hope because God was holy, I was a sinner, and therefore, I didn't understand the redemptive power of Christ. Mm-hmm. So I just decided that if I could appear to be perfect, then everyone would see that on the outside, it didn't matter what my life was on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I was the master of pushing down those emotions. And, and honestly, after I came to the Lord at the age of 29, um, it took me really years to focus on how was I feeling, w- what was really happening, because I really lived a life so numb to emotions. Um, you would never see me cry, never have emotions. It was just that smile on the face. You said you had an abortion at 17. Uh-huh. Explain to me, why does a person like you become sexually active when there's been a history of sexual abuse? What is, what is going on there? I realize you probably didn't understand it at the time, but looking back on it, what do you think was going on? Well, there's two issues. First of all, statistically, um, women who have been abused, they either go two directions. They do not want to have anything to do with men whatsoever, or they do become very sexually active. And it's because they don't feel like they have permission to say no. Hmm. And I I will even take it a little further. um, And Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, Mm What that has done to our society is that it has shown us that if an embryo doesn't have value, then babies don't have value. You know, if people don't have value, I don't have value. By extension, sure. So if I don't have value, then why does it matter? Hmm. And so it was that lacking of even seeing how valuable I was. Yeah. Talk to me more about the abortions. Unfortunately, it just becomes a way of life. You're so numb. Um, I just, I remember such rebellion in my heart. And I remember at the age of 29, that final abortion that I had, I was so hard, but yet I knew, I knew exactly what I did. I, I believed. You knew it was wrong? I, oh, I knew it was a baby. I mean, Wayne, tell me, when was the last time anyone has ever said, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have anything other than a baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. But it was part of the cover-up? It was part of the, it, the, part of the stuffing your feelings? And- pretender. I mean, I knew that if I died tonight, that I would spend eternity in hell. Mm. And you were resigned to that? I was totally resigned to that fact. You knew about heaven and hell. I knew about heaven and hell. I believed in God. I believed that Jesus was the son of God. I believed that his people would be in heaven with him one day. And I believed that Satan was real. And I believed that there was a hell. And because I couldn't live up to that standard that allowed people to go to heaven, then I was destined to hell. So why did it matter? Hmm. 
You said the last abortion, you were 29. Right. You said you met Christ at yes. age 29. Was yes. it because of the abortion experience? Or talk, talk to me about what happened. What was the turning point for you, Marta? I was engaged to be married, and I found out I was pregnant. And my fiance and I had obviously a very difficult but good conversation. Um, he he left to get, to go exercise for about an hour, and I went out on the back patio to smoke a cigarette. He saw me. He came back in and was just furious. He, his his mother had died of cancer and had smoked, and you know obviously all these emotions were very very fresh. And and he just looked at me. He's like, I don't care how much I love you. I can't watch you die like I watched her die. And he walked out. And so I was twenty nine years old, pregnant, and alone. So I did what I always did. I covered up my sin. I checked myself into an abortion clinic um, because I, I, I think I wanted to just cause myself pain. I would not even allow them to give me any medication, you know, to, to ease the pain. And um, I wouldn't allow anyone to drive me there. And so they wouldn't let me leave. And so they put me in a room. They turned the lights out and I had to call someone to come get me. But in the meantime, it was at least two to two and a half, a half hours before someone could come and get me. Two and a half hours and what mm -hmm. are you thinking about? Oh, everything that I'd ever done in my life. I mean, it was, it was like this movie reel in my head of going everything in my life that I had done to destruct my life. And, you know, when the pit is so deep, God's hand can still reach down there. And he showed me David and Moses and Paul and in the days that followed that experience, or no, it was that it was in that two and a half hours in that, in that in, time frame in in the post abortion, abortion yeah in the abortion clinic God met you there God met me there at the time when you would humanly speaking feel just as low as you could possibly be and as guilty because mm -hmm. you knew it was wrong right and yet God met you there yes and He showed me that all three of those men they had killed someone. But God redeemed them, he used them, and he used them in a mighty way. And it was that darkest day, that was the best day of my life, that I just, I cried out, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know why you would love me, but you say that you will. Take me, fix me, change me, do whatever it takes. But I just can't do this anymore. So, and he did that. So you gave it all over to Christ. I gave it all over to Christ. But did you tell anybody else? You know, because of the way that I was raised, I mean, my mother would have told you, well, she walked the aisle when she was six years old. I understand. And so I don't even think I had a realization of what had happened to me until I started studying God's Word. And I was in an inductive Romans class. For Why did two you do years. that? Why did you start studying the Bible <laughs> like that? Well, very shortly after I became a believer, I, I went into prison ministry and I was talking to probably one of the very first people in, in prison and I was telling them a wonderful story of Peter on the road to Damascus. <laughs> Peter? <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, Peter was not on the road to Damascus. It was Paul. But uh, God used that situation anyway and he showed me two very important things. Any old bush will do. He, he used me in spite of what I didn't know, despite of anything that I had, and also that I needed to learn the Word of God. 
And we'll hear the rest of Marta Greenman's story coming up today in the second half of this edition of First Person. Next week on First Person, you'll meet a businessman who knew God was calling him to something bigger. My minister told me in 2007 when I was at a very tough point in my life, he told me, he said, Stevie, he said, uh, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. Wayne, I pray every day to be worthy of the position that uh, the Lord has me in. Stephen Camp, executive producer of the upcoming movie Brothers Keeper, next time on First Person. Talking with Marta Greenman today here on First Person, and she is the author of Bound to Be Free. I'll get to that in a few moments. You were bound. I was definitely bound. You were bound by Mm -hmm. all the circumstances, all the guilt that really had you in chains. Yes. So now you begin this Bible study. Uh, You meet the Lord Mm -hmm. and begin Bible study. And what, what were those early lessons like? Well, the homework was an hour a day, five days a week. And at the time, I had just become a believer, just gotten married, just moved to Dallas, Texas, and every single thing in my life had changed. I was working about 60 hours a week, and I'm like, Lord, I know you brought me here, but if you want me to do this, you're going to show me how to do it, because I don't have an hour a day. Hmm. And very, very quickly, he showed me, uh, for the last almost 20 years, I had been taping a program it was a soap opera. <laughs> and uh, when I was in fourth grade, I had mono, mono, and my sister was addicted to the same soap okay, opera. So you, you got hooked, so, huh? so I got hooked when I was in the fourth grade. And so God showed me. It was an hour. You, I had a decision to make. Was I going to do what God was asking me to do, or was I going to keep on doing what I was doing? Mm-hmm. And never in my wildest imagination would I have believed that 17 years later, after that one step of obedience, that God would call me to write a Bible study. Hmm. So through that, he just gave me a passion and a hunger for his word. And it was about oh, about two hours a day, almost every day. Let me back you up a little bit, though, because in the intervening time between really coming to Christ and turning it over to right. Christ and beginning this Bible study— You must have grown and come to grips with your past. And did you begin telling others about your past then? Very, very few people knew. But in 1997, I ended up on a plane to Romania with our church on a mission trip. And God in his sovereignty knew that he was taking me to Romania, which is a country that has the highest percent Per population of women with that have had abortions next to America. I've been to Romania. I didn't know that, though. Yes. And so the very first time I was there, I remember I could, I could sense the Lord just tugging at my heart just to speak and share my testimony. And I kept saying, no, I can't do that. And finally, just with tears in my eyes, I just began to share. And I didn't know what the people that I was talking to, I I mean, I had no idea about the statistic that I had just given you. And yet, when I was finished, the lady just looked at me and tears streamed down her eyes. And she began to share with me that she too had had an abortion. And, you know, God is so wonderful. He's so creative because in sharing 
my testimony and sharing what God had done in my life, not only did he begin to heal the woman that I was talking with, he began to heal me. And it's I like think, a mirror was being held up. Yes, yes, it was. And, you know, that is Satan's big deception. You, you know, John 10.10 10 talks about the Satan. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And part of the way that he tries to deceive us and kill us is for us to not talk about the things in our life, the sin that we have. Because if he can cover it up and push it down then God can't free us. And that's where you feel the shame and the guilt. And I, I just, I, I have such a heart for that because it's such a prevalent issue that I see, even, I mean, especially in the churches today. I mean, we were supposed to be a hospital to free people, and yet we come inside and we put our smiles on our face. And we shoot the wounded. And we shoot the wounded. So you began... Telling your story. I began telling my story. Did you, did you find freedom in that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Not only did I find freedom for myself, but I found that God used that to free other people. And through that entire process, through uh, me being able to minister to others, it was the word of God that heals, and it's that opening up. It washes our soul. It washes our soul. Mm -hmm. By his stripes, we are healed. Yeah. So you uh, you write this Bible study, yes. something you never saw yourself doing. Never. It's called Bound to be Free. Bound to be Free. Talk to me about your vision for it. Well, it's about sanctification. You know, that big theological word. <laughs> <laughs> it simply means to be set apart, to be set apart to God from the defiled things of the world to be dedicated to him. And throughout the study, it shows you what God's responsibility is and what our responsibility is. And Philippians 1, 6 tells us, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And he is the one who starts the work. He is the one who will complete the work. And so the sanctification process, that's his job. Our job, John 15, 7, talks about abiding in him, remaining in him, and that's our job and our responsibility. So is bound to be free for victims of horrendous things like sexual abuse, or is it for, for everyone? Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good answer. It, it was not designed for people of sexual abuse, but obviously... It can help and it can restore. It, it's a story of redemption. I don't care whether um, you've had one lie in your life, you're still a sinner. Yeah. Or you're on death row for murder. The process that God has for us is the same for each of us. God just sometimes has to reach down a little bit further to get some of us. Mm -hmm. And so there's eight steps in here, and we don't have time to talk about all eight, but the first one is simply believing that the Bible is the Word of God and believing that this is the source of your healing because only 10% in America have a Christian worldview that was just released from Barna Group. And one half of 1% of young adults age 18 to 25 have a Christian worldview. Well, over 
6% of Americans claim to be Christians. So well, there's, there's, a, a, there's a gap there. There's a problem. Yeah. And so not only is this going to be getting back to the basic fundamentals of we as Christians, so it's good for the new believer, but yet I've met a lot of pe- people, believers, who have are well along the sanctification process, that God has worked in their life. But what this is good for them is to equip them. Because if they're that far along, they need to be taking others with them. You've been using this for some time now, right? Yes. And you've seen people go through the, the study and yes. you've seen some lives changed? Oh, absolutely. There's a young woman um, that came to me. I was actually in the process of writing the Bible study. And she had just moved to Texas. Her husband had left her, had had at least one affair, and um, had actually been physically abusive to her. And so she was living with her parents and has a young son. And she showed up in a Bible study class that I had and only came to one class. And I just began to call her on the phone. And I started meeting with her individually and we just started working through things. And as I would write the study... I would give it to her to go over because what that was <laughs> like a gonna, proofreading kind of thing and well, proof study or not necessarily as an editing, which she was and ended yeah. up being very yeah. good at. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if she can understand the process, if she can see what God is doing through this, then it's a good study, mm-hmm. right? So she was your test case. She was my test case. But what happened was God began to work in her life in a mighty way. And it is just amazing. That was in September of 2009. Today, she is a student of Liberty University getting her degree in counseling. She is homeschooling her, her son, and she is my ministry assistant. <laughs> <laughs> God is not the author of evil, but you look back on those years that were lost. He's redeemed that in your life, hasn't he? He has totally redeemed it. He is the redeemer. And Acts 4.20 tells us you know, that we cannot stop speaking about all we have seen and all we have heard. And to overcome evil, overcome the darkness, you need light. And so we need to go and be salt and light into the world and not stop speaking until every man has heard. The Bible study which Marta has written and published is called Bound to be Free and we'll place additional information about Marta and the Bible study at firstpersoninterview.com. At firstpersoninterview.com, you'll find an archive of all of our past programs so you can review any of the interviews, past or present. Also, you'll find a schedule of upcoming guests and topics. So check us out online at firstpersoninterview.com. And then I hope you'll visit our Facebook page where you can interact with us about what you hear on this program. We've set up a page at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Once again, that's facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. And I hope we'll hear from you this week. Next week, we'll meet a businessman who's being led of the Lord to make feature films with biblical values. We'll meet Stephen Camp next week when you join us right here at this time. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next week for First Person. First Person.